Imagine this with me. Your whole life has been preparation for a grand adventure, and the last several months have been intensely so. It's the day your adventure begins. You wake up early and try to eat your final breakfast. Though your stomach is in knots and butterflies at the same time, which makes eating difficult. Waiting for transport takes hours and nerves run high amongst the 10 of you who will soon be each all on your own. Finally, it's your turn to get in the helicopter. That's a new experience and adds to the anxiety. We fly up and over a huge mountain range with glaciers on it. The other side comes into view, a large lake and forest all around. Not knowing where you will land, you scan the landscape furiously, hoping to soak up as much info as you can. Are there any rivers or creeks? You see some clearings, but mostly it's forest down below. And there on the other side of the lake is a long high rocky ridge. Oh, the helicopter is landing now. You, a large case full of camera gear and a backpack with clothes and 10 items are left alone on a pebble beach. As the last sign of civilization disappears, there are many swirling thoughts. There I was, all alone. I had so much I needed to accomplish before it got dark. Build a shelter, make a fire, purify water and look for food, and film everything. What do you imagine I did first? Well, you might be surprised. I sat myself down on a log and I took a deep breath and I looked around. My dream for being on the alone show was to live, truly live the experience of surviving alone and creating a home in nature. I knew that there were nine other very capable people out there who could last a long time. And that unforeseen injury was always a possibility to take me out. I took another breath. I introduced myself to the land and said aloud my intention to build a home, be a caretaker of the land, and hopefully be the last person there and win. Winning meant that I would be the first woman to win the show, and my dream of buying land and building a home could be possible with the prize money. I set my intention to enjoy the journey first, and then I went about my survival priorities. Welcome to the Roaming the Earth podcast. I am your host, Drea Castro, and today I am here with Carly Fairchild. Carly Fairchild lives her life as a journey, taking each adventure and living it to the fullest. She has studied survival skills since she was a teenager and Naya ZI healing over the last seven years. Carly is passionate about basket weaving, shelter building, fire making, edible and medicinal plants, and finding joyful connections wherever she goes. In 2016, Carly lived solo for 86 days and filmed herself as part of History Channel's TV series, Alone. Carly is a practitioner of Naya ZI healing, teaches survival skills, gives inspirational presentations, and is an ambassador for LT Wright handcrafted knives. Thank you so much for being here. I'm so excited to talk to you. I have so many questions. <laughs> I'm happy to be here. Thanks for having me. Yes, definitely. Okay. Tell me about the excerpt in the beginning. What, what is that? Tell me more. <laughs> yeah, and uh, in 2016, I was on the survival show called Alone. And that is my journal entry after the fact of my very first day um, of starting to be alone for that show. So I wasn't allowed a journal there. Like I literally was not allowed to have a journal. Um, really? 
had a camera that I could talk to all day long, um, but I had no journal. So after I got home from the experience is when I wrote down things. Wow. I thought you journaled that down. No. Oh my gosh. That would drive me crazy because you know you have all these thoughts. They're so clever. Like <laughs> they want you to journal towards the camera. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> wow. That's so interesting. Okay. So that was like part of the rules. Like you couldn't have a journal. Yep. That was, there were items we could choose from to take. And then there is a whole list of items that we had no choice about. With everything that you've done, not just on the show alone, but before that you could, you, you hike the PCT, which is a big deal. I always find through hikers to be crazy and amazing. Yeah. <laughs> and then you just, you loved bushcrafting and, and all of that. Like, what does travel mean to someone like you who has experienced all of these things? Travel to me is about connection with the landscape and the people who live in it. So wherever I go, I like to get to know the local environment and try to get to look, know the local people as well, um, because there's a lot of rich history there. Do you travel internationally? Do you travel domestically? Like, where do you tend to like to go? And what kind of terrain do you like to go to? Um, with me, there's no like... Once one size travel fits all, I'm always doing different kinds of things. Um, I've done just a little bit of international travel. Um, actually got a second chance on the alone show and went to Mongolia. Uh, That's like my, you went to the two places that are on my list. I was like, ah, oh, they're in Patagonia. Ah, oh, they're in Mongolia. Those are the two places that is like on the top of my bucket list. That's crazy. So. I was had very little awareness of those two places before I was on the show. <laughs> I was like, they're going to Patagonia. That's like my dream to do the W and to do that whole, oh my God. It's like, you know, yours is a little different because they put you in the middle of nowhere. Yeah. But <laughs> I got to know a very small piece of land, like the back of my hands, um, and then didn't see the rest of the country. <laughs> oh my God. Do you ever want to go back? I would like to go back, yeah, and see. There is some amazing, like, rafting and hiking trips that can be done there. Um, so I definitely would like to go back whenever we can safely travel internationally again. Yes. Yeah, the, the one area I've always wanted to do was either the W or the O um, okay. in that. Yeah, the Tor Taurus. I can't, I'm going to butcher the word, but Tor Taurus del Pan or whatever mm -hmm. and it's this you know like that that iconic um picture of patagonia that you see even on the logo of patagonia that's that area and so i've always wanted to go there and then mongolia i've always wanted to um follow like eagle hunters yeah go out to the altai oh gosh it's like i was very jealous <laughs> watching it i was like ah oh, that's so cool I got to return to Mongolia um, and be an intern for the tourist company there called Panoramic Journeys, which if you want to go, I would highly recommend their company. Um, not a shameless plug, just a plug. <laughs> <laughs> but for real though, like, yeah. Like they're legit. Um, I don't think they're doing any right now, but hopefully they'll get to open up again. Um, but I worked for them and then I did a trip out to the Altai and awesome. stayed with a couple of families for a few days and got to meet some eagle hunters. And absolutely amazing to be out there in that landscape and meet those and stay with those families. 
and really have an experience of helping them cook and slaughter a heap and get right, get packed up for the winter for them to move to their next spot. So. Oh my God. That's like, that's like my dream. What you, exactly what you just said. That's exactly what I want to do. Like I did something in Nepal like that. I went to Nepal and I traveled and uh, out there and then stayed with a family there for like a week to film this documentary thing I'm doing. And it was just such an experience, you know, living in someone's home and getting to experience the culture and really, really getting to know what it's like. It's just really, really special. So I get it. I'm jealous. I'm going to hit you up about that situation. (laughs) That's awesome. Okay. So tell me what it's like to travel like you do. Like, what does that look like? What does your world look like? Um, I, I guess traveling like I do, like I'm always taking survival items with me. Um, I always have stuff to cook with, knife, um, just about no matter where I go, I take wool clothing with me because it's extremely versatile and durable and warm. Um, I always have stuff to cook with, knife, um, just about no matter where I go, I take wool clothing with me because it's extremely versatile and durable and warm. Um, yeah, so I'm always like aware of what could happen and carrying stuff with me to be prepared. Cause even though my training is in how to survive with nothing, yeah. um, it's also really nice to have some items. It'd be, yeah, like really nice to have stuff that you don't have to build. Yeah. Wait, so do you like to travel? Like, how do you like to travel? You sound like you like to travel like in the wilderness or nature. And I have different people on this show and some people really like to travel luxuriously. And some people Mm -hmm. like to travel and they camp and they backpack. Like, how do you like to travel? What's your preference? So I guess my go-to is like road trip style. Like put a bunch of stuff in the car that I need and uh, maybe have a couple places that I know I want to see, but build in time to explore between places. Cause there's always things you learn about. Like you start talking with people and they're like, Oh, go check out this waterfall. And if you've got like a packed itinerary, you don't have time to go check it out. So like, I like to do a little bit of mix of car camping, backpacking, occasional overnight without, you know, with minimum gear, um, it's crazy. Like I, I, I've never done the whole like cowboy camping situation. And that to me scares the crap out of me. <laughs> like it scares me. Like I don't want things coming in my sleeping bag. Like yeah. I, I need a barrier between the elements and myself. And actually when I was watching, <laughs> when I was watching the show and you saw that cat, I was like, this girl is crazy. <laughs> like, <laughs> like, we were like, how is she not terrified right now? Like, what, what was going on in your head? I want to know. <laughs> what? Um, well, I had my fire. Yes. I had my axe and my knife with me. Um, <laughs> and it was, they portray it as if it could be, could have been a cougar. Um, but it's actually a smaller wild cat, like the size of a bobcat. It's that, still a cat. 
Well, I would have been more worried if I'd like seen an actual cougar than this wildcat. Um, <laughs> oh my God. <laughs> I probably would have gone to my shelter that night instead of sleeping out. Um, but with a smaller cat, you know, I wasn't, I wasn't worried about it. It was in the area. It was its home. I was a visitor there, but it felt like I was a welcome visitor there. Okay. Cause I would have been like, if I saw, if I saw like, even like a little like mouse, I would have been like, that mouse is going to come into my, and eat my sleeping. I would have been like freaking out. And I just like the cat, like that's on another level. <laughs> like, I don't know how you did that because I wouldn't just, I just would have been awake the entire night, like freaked out. So yeah. you're way more badass of a person than I am. I was like, no. We fear things that we're not familiar with. Yeah. And so because of the amount of time I've spent outdoors and spent outdoors, you know, like you called it just cowboy camping, just out under the stars. I have a familiarity with all the different noises that happen at night in different places. And I've had mice run across my sleeping bag while I've been camping or hiking out somewhere. Um, the first time or two, it was scary. And then I got used to them, like popping <laughs> over me all night long. Um, <laughs> familiar with things and then like knowledgeable about things like I've never heard of any bobcat attacking a person right maybe it happens but I've not heard of it so it's very unlikely so it's like a mix of knowing things and then rationalizing and even if that fear starts to like bubble up being able to like placate it with me like no actually like you can feel afraid because you're uncertain, but you know that these things are not likely to happen. Okay. There's, well, a try to <laughs> there's a choice in there of letting the fear like take over your whole system yeah. or like let it just be a little piece that's there. I'll try to remember that when I'm out in the wilderness and I'll hear your voice like, don't be afraid. It's not a real, it's, bobcats don't attack people. Like, you know, like I'll try to remember that. <laughs> that's yeah. crazy. Oh, that's amazing. Yeah, because I've I've just never done cowboy camping. So you were already familiar with it. You already you had done yeah. it before. So that's when I, when I hiked the 500 miles of the Pacific Crest Trail, I just had a tarp to sleep under. And oh, okay. I think over like five and a half weeks, I only set it up like four times. Oh wow. <laughs> oh my lord really wonderful season that I was in and it didn't rain hardly at all or threatened to rain. So wow. I just slept out. Which part of the PCT did you do? I did the Washington section. Oh my God. That's supposed to be really beautiful. Wow. It's gorgeous. And it's great because while I did train for it ahead of time, that trail also trains you because the beginning of it by the Columbia river is more gentle. Oh, and it's steeper and rougher as you go north. And so your body is like conditioning as you're going also. Okay. I would like to do a section of the PCT eventually, yeah. uh, but I need to train because yeah, <laughs> I'm not there. Have you ever thought about doing the entire thing? I have, but it's really, it's really rough on the body. And I find it hard to get, the amount of calories that I need when I'm hiking 
um, I have a really fast metabolism and when I'm hiking, it just spikes really high. <laughs> um, so I would like to do shorter, another like short section of trail. Um, I would love to do the John Muir trail. Oh my gosh. Yes. Yeah. Definitely would need to train for that one because of the elevation it's at and how much elevation you do every day. It's insane amount. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. But it's so beautiful up there. I did a little bit of it um, around that area. So it's just, it's gorgeous. I highly recommend doing yeah. the California section or just any of the Sierras really like, oh my God, yeah. it's gorgeous. It's gorgeous. Well, okay. if you can backpack for like three or four days, you can do whatever distance you want to do. Yeah. I mean, that's my plan for the summer. I definitely want to do more of the Sierras because it's so close. It's only like a few hours from here and it's just gorgeous. And I've done a few really, really beautiful spots out there. And it's, you know, I dream about the PCT and wanting to do that. And then obviously on this show, I get to talk to all these through hikers and people that have done the AT and the Continental Divide. I'm always like, ah, I want to do it. It like inspires me to go. <laughs> so I got to do it. You learn a lot about yourself by being out in the wilderness that long. Like there's really not anything else you can do that is that same experience. What did you learn about yourself? Like the most valuable thing you learned. <laughs> the most valuable. I was going to say that I like my own company. Um. <laughs> <laughs> Clearly. <laughs> um, a really valuable thing that I've learned is that we are capable of great things. And when we have the intention to do something and it's a strong enough drive, we can do anything we want to do. I love that. I mean, um, when you're hiking for that distance, you realize how strong you are. Yeah. And that, like everything moves. You just got to keep moving, whether that is two miles a day or 20 miles a day when you're hiking, like you got to keep moving. You can't just stop. I love that. I love that. Yeah. And to enjoy the journey. Like, I mean, I guess if I could say one, just one takeaway thing yeah. is to enjoy the journey because that's, that's what we live is the journey, not the destination. Yeah. It's interesting. Every time I talk to someone who's through hiked or um, I talk to someone who recently walked across the entire United States and then back and all this craziness, but he, Every one of those people that I've spoken to, they get to the end and they go, ah, okay. Well, that's the journey was so much fun. I, and you you think that that's the, you know, I finally got to the end and yes, there's a little bit of that, but a lot of the adventure before that is really what they remember the most because it is the journey. So it's definitely like a lesson that I think a lot of people that go through that learn. Yeah. <laughs> And it's fun to like bring back to our daily lives too. Yeah. It's not whatever milestone you're trying to reach. It's the journey that it takes to get there. I love that. <laughs> you love the outdoors, clearly. Where did your love for the outdoors start and how did it, it like evolve to becoming a wilderness survivalist? Like, 
I love the outdoors. I'm not a survivalist. Like, how did that happen? Um, it started when I was a kid. I loved being outside. And my aunt and uncle had a farm that I grew up going to. So I got to like roam on the farm and help with the animals and gardens. And then when I was a teenager, my mom actually went to the, the world famous tracker school um, in New Jersey and learned, did a week long survival class. And when she came back, she showed my brother and I how to make a bow drill fire, which is a way to make fire just out of sticks, friction fire. And I was fascinated. And she said that there was a kid's summer camp I could go to if I wanted to, to learn more. And so I went to the Coyote Tracks programs um, all through my teenage years. And that's where my love for survival skills came in um, through like, you know, your teenage years are kind of discovering who you are. And the survival skills were, gave me both connection to the land and to myself and to other, other peers. Um, and it gave me this edge to work with of like a challenge because survival skills, when you first start to learn them can be, can be really challenging. Um, you know, it took me a long while to get my first bow drill fire and now, you know, it's much easier. Oh my God. So do you think that's like the, what's like the most difficult thing that you had to learn? Was it that fire? Um, I don't think the most difficult thing to learn is like a certain skill so much as how, how to learn and how to be curious and how to try different things when what you're doing isn't working. And that's applicable to any of the skills, whether it's bow drill fire or making a shelter or trying to find plants or hunting, like you gotta be creative <laughs> with, with how to make something work in different circumstances. Why is wilderness survival important to you? And you teach it now. So why is it important to teach it to others? I think it's survival skills are important to teach to people because it teaches connection. And a lot of us don't grow up with a lot of connect, like real connection or deep connection in our lives. And society doesn't tend to promote deep connection. And so through survival skills, people can get a deeper connection with themselves, a deeper connection with other people, and a deeper connection with the land, which I feel is important because we need to take care of the land. Because without the land, what are we going to do? I completely agree. It's funny because when I feel disconnected because of what I do, obviously, I, I work in the entertainment industry. It's, I live in Los Angeles. Sometimes I can feel so disconnected. So I literally peace out and I like leave and I go to the mountains because that's where I feel most connected. And when I'm hiking really difficult trails or backpacking, that's when I feel really connected because all I'm thinking about are the simplest of things. Yeah. Where are you going to put your next foot? <laughs> right. Right. How to serve, how to survive. Don't trip, you know, or like, where do I eat next? And how do I, uh, you know, where do I go have a shelter? And you're just thinking about the simplest of things and you're not thinking about all the noise and it grounds me. And when I come back, I feel a lot more like a normal human, the way I should be feeling like a normal human being before all <laughs> the crazy, you know? So yeah. I hear you. I hear you for sure. 
what do you think surviving in the wilderness has taught you the most? I think what surviving in the wilderness has taught me the most is that I'm not separate from the wilderness unless the only thing that separates it, me from the wilderness is myself. So whether I choose to engage with it or whether I try to be separate and that can be like a mental mentality thing. And I use uh, the perspective of a caretaker to be connected to the wilderness. So if I'm hiking somewhere and I want to make a fire, I look around and see what, uh, you know, where's their deadfall or dead branches that if broken off will help there be more openings for maybe a new trail for the animals to go through, for example. Um, or if I'm making a shelter, like where, where's there a whole lot of debris on the ground that I could make the shelter there instead of scraping off where there's like very little debris. Right. So something, so it's like a give and take of like, I, I as a human have to take from the natural world to live, whether that's plants or animals, I have to take and, and, and kill sometimes to live. And so if I can do that in a really mindful, respectful way, then I'm able to have more connection with the wilderness. I love that. Um, where did you learn that? <laughs> um, I mean, I've had many teachers over the years. Um, growing up on my aunt and uncle's farm, like I learned a lot about the cycle of life and death there and how to do it in a respectful way. Um, and that, you know, you don't joke around about killing animals. Like it's a serious thing and a respectful thing. Um, and then through different philosophies of different, you know, different people, like that's what I've put together for myself. I love that. Yeah. Cause you, you had to hunt. That to me is so hard. I, you know, it, yes, we have to, we have to kill in order to survive. Right. Yeah. Um, but especially when you were out there, how, 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 how do you do it without? <laughs> well, unfortunately, I didn't have very many opportunities to yes. <laughs> eat while I was out in Patagonia. Yeah. Um, I did harvest a lot of plants and I was extremely thankful for every leaf I plucked from a plant. Like every time I plucked a leaf off, I was saying, not, not necessarily out loud, but at least in my, in my heart, like, thank you. Gratitude. Um, yeah. Carry that gratitude in my heart. And, and killing is never easy. Like the hunt can be fun, like going out and scouting an area and seeing where the animals are and what are their routines. Like that can be a lot of fun, but the killing part has never been fun. Yeah but I'm also grateful to have that ability to be part of that cycle and to be responsible and respectful during it. Yeah. Cause to me, I, I would just, I would have such a hard time cause it is hard, you know, it just, yeah, that, that part of it is hard. And, and there is a balance of trying to do it respectfully. So yeah, I think that's very, very important for sure. For sure. Because some people hunt and then I'm like, oh, they're so awful. Like, why, you know, like the way that they're doing it is just, I don't know, like something bothers me inside. Because I guess, you know, it's that empathy. Um, 
but yeah, it's, I think it's important, you know, when you hunt that you, you remember to like give gratitude, you know, to this living being that's now serving you. Yeah. For sure. And what I love about the survival skill training I have is that it's taught me how to use like every part of the animal. Right. So, you know, I recently, I wasn't the one hunting, but I got two deer hides and I flesh them out because I'm going to tan them and turn them into leather and make some clothing out of it. Wow. Yeah. That's so cool. <laughs> I just want to follow you around and shadow and be like, how do you do this? Like I got one day I'm going to meet you in person and just like shadow you like for real. <laughs> like I want that so bad. <laughs> Cause I've never seen that. What? How did you learn that during your survival training? In like yeah, high school. Whoa. That's so cool. Yeah. That was one thing I was really impressed watching you. I was like, wow, she's like really skillful in like everything. Did you just use it? Like, didn't you make like a an instrument? <laughs> yeah, I made a drum. <laughs> I was like, what? <laughs> It was such a crazy thing because here I was in the middle of the woods with little patches of openings and I found an old cowhide and like skeleton. And I learned after the fact that that area was used to ranch cattle in the summers. Oh, they weren't there while I was there because it was fall going into winter, but some cow had died and mostly rotted away except for this piece of hide and so when I saw it I was like oh my gosh that is going to be really useful and so I used it in all sorts of different ways until I ended up turning it into a drum I was like so shocked like she made a drum like who, who knows how to make a drum like you know like okay so let's talk about alone okay <laughs> I got like <laughs> since we're already talking about it like the drum like what were you thinking <laughs> like and how did you go you know i'm gonna make a drum out of this like that's what i'm gonna do and then you did it and it looked beautiful <laughs> yeah uh when i first found the hide it was like in the first week i found it because i was exploring wow. all over the the lakeshore i had and up the ridge just to get to know the area i had to work with and what was in it and what was available and I found that hide. And I think one of the first things I thought about was, oh, I could make a drum out of it. Um, <laughs> I have made drums in the past. And so I knew how to make one. Wow. So I was like, well, I'm going to need to find a hollow log to make a hoop with because I don't have any like big tools to use to like cut down a bunch of little pieces to make like an octagon frame. Anyways, lots of thoughts. And I was like, and that's not a top priority right now. <laughs> I need to make my shelter. I need to do these things. So I started the process though, because the hide was nasty. Like I've worked some gross hides before, and this was maybe the grossest I've ever worked with, which was funny. <laughs> so I rolled it up on a stick and I carried it over my shoulder down to the lake, way away from where I got water. <laughs> and like was it the like covered in things? Uh, there were pieces of it that were blue-green colored. Okay, okay. Like moldy. Okay, um, okay. And smelly. 
So I, I put rocks on it in the lake and I just soaked it for like a week. And then I pulled it out and there was, as a pebble beach. So I got some bark pieces to be like paddles and I scraped the hide with the pebbles both sides and I stuck it back in the lake for another week. <laughs> and the, the temperatures were cold. So like it wasn't, wasn't going more bad. It was getting better. Um, in the meantime, I was starting to build my shelter, um, getting it set up, foraging for plants every day, trying to fish, filming everything that I was doing, which, you know, you're in that industry, like filming is hard work. A lot. And I was doing that on top of surviving. Um, so actually the first thing I made with this hide was a bag. Oh. I, um, I, uh, I know that. Yeah, they don't, they don't show everything I did with the hide, but I made a bag out of it. I made an awl out of a piece of bone. So an awl is a sharp pointed object that tapers. Okay. And I was able to hammer it into the hide to make holes. Oh, wow. And then I used fishing line that I had to sew it to make this like bag. And I used the bag to gather debris in to fill my shelter walls with. Because the, the leaves, debris is like leaves and loose bits of bark and wood that are on the ground. And it's, uh, it can be really insulative because it creates lots of little dead air spaces. Uh, so I, the debris there was so small, I could literally only get like a handful at a time if I tried to pick it up myself. Versus like eastern woodlands, you got big oak leaves and maple leaves. Like I can get a huge huge pile of leaves here. So the bag was helpful. Let me get more leaves per trip. Yeah. <laughs> oh, God. So I yeah. think it doesn't really show you like in my head, I can, I, I know what it takes to like, Oh, I have to go gather this thing, come back and do, but like, doesn't really portray what it is, you know, like the amount of work, like you can see it, but you don't really know, you know, the amount of work that you guys were all doing. That's crazy. Like, it's crazy. But I mean, one good thing is you're distracted, right? In part, there's, there's definitely, I think it's, it can be a helpful distraction or motivation, the filming, like, Sometimes that helped me get up in the mornings of like, all right, I got to show what I'm doing today because I want my story to be told the best that it can, which means I have to film it. Okay. I got to get up then. <laughs> um, but it also made it harder because so much filming wasn't second nature to me. Right. And so, so much energy and time and thought had to go into filming that it took away from problem solving other survival things that were going on. Like, right. how could I get more food? You know, I tried a lot of different things. And after the fact, I could think of more because I had more like, brain capacity to think. Right. Right. Because you were like, and also just carrying gear, placing it there, recording, putting your mic on, or I don't know how you guys did the mic, but like. Yeah, we had a, a a wireless mic with a battery pack. Yeah. And just constantly thinking about it would drive me nuts <laughs> if I was trying to like feed myself. Yeah. Well, imagine just filming like your daily routine at home. No. <laughs> <laughs> I'd be like, great. I have to go in this other room. Let me move this camera and then do it again. And like, 
Oh, wait, I have to put it in this room, show myself walking into the other room and go get the camera and then bring it in here to show me brushing my teeth. Oh, and I should probably have a close-up of the toothbrush here, and I should have like, a distance shot of the toothbrushing. And I should talk about the toothbrushing in some manner also. <laughs> Was this the first time you really had to apply those like survival skills to the fullest extent ever? It was the longest term potential that I was going into, but I have gone on survival trips with less items. Um, Whoa, before. really? Yeah, I've gone with just like the clothes on my back and a knife and a water bottle. Whoa, <laughs> oh my Lord. And I've done a couple of days with no knife or water bottle. Wow, wow. Did you find that more difficult than, than your time doing a lot? Um, difficult is always like based on your perspective. <laughs> so I think alone was more difficult. Like the other survival trips I've done, there's been difficult parts of it for sure. But alone, because of the extreme circumstance, and because I only had like a limited area that I could go in, like, I couldn't just wander all over the place. Couldn't? You weren't allowed to? No, because there was 10 of us in a very similar region. Some other people were around the same lake I was on. Oh. I didn't know this for sure ahead of time, but afterwards. Um, and so they don't want you going and bumping into anybody else. Right. So they set up like that rocky, that big rocky area on the lake. Like don't go further around the lake that way. Oh, man. And because we were carrying emergency communication devices they could also know like if you cross that boundary then they're gonna you know write and say hey you gotta head south oh wow yeah <laughs> that's crazy okay yeah because i always wondered like i would if i couldn't find food in one area i would try to like venture off and try to like figure yeah. out where to go to that's one thing a lot of viewers of the show don't realize is if somebody can't find food in their spot, it's the unfortunate, not luck of the draw. Like you either have the food where you're at or you don't. And yes, you can explore some within your area, but you can't just keep going. Like right. in a real, if it was a real situation, I would have hiked all the way around the lake and found an inflow or an outflow where there's going to be more fish because fish like those transition areas. And I would have set up there to go fishing. Yeah. Yeah. And yeah, because definitely like if I couldn't find food in my area, I would just have to try. And what makes it difficult is that you have camera gear. So if you did, if they did say, hey, yeah, and you could do that, you would also have to like gather all your stuff, move it, and then come back and get all this camera gear and get this Pelican box and, you know, like insane. So, uh that's that's difficult. And I think didn't they do that like one season where the guy like completely left his area and then like went to a different like completely different area? That's probably there are some people that have changed locations um, within the area. And some seasons they have a bigger area than other right. other seasons. It just depends on where? on how big of an area the whole show has to work with. Right. Yeah. Because I was like didn't they had some where it was like they had like left and I'm like that's good because that was a shitty area <laughs> like not good 
Yeah, I want to say that might have been Larry Roberts in season two. Yeah, something, right? Like he was like in like a really bad marshy area or something. And then he went to kept hiking up and then he found the ocean. Something like that. I just I forgot. <laughs> Outside of the filming, what other challenges did you face while you were out there? And how, yeah. how did you try to solve it? If you A huge challenge I faced while I'm alone was getting a lot of food. <laughs> Um, so in the 86 days I was out there, I got, I caught six fish in 86 days. And we're not talking about big fish. We're talking about little fish, which everyone I was extremely grateful for. Don't get me wrong. Um, extremely grateful for each of those fish. Um, and I tried like all different techniques for fishing that I could possibly think of in different spots and different times of day. And I just would cast out and let it sit and reel it back in and nothing. Or I'd put line out and come back the next day and nothing. Um, I made a fish trap with like weaving a basket. I tried stacking stones in the shallows of the shore to make like a fish weir. I had no idea if it would work. Didn't think it was ideal placement for it, but I didn't have a better place. And so I tried it. Um, that didn't work either. <laughs> you just were like starving. Basically. Holy crap. Yeah, I was eating every day. Like I said earlier, I was harvesting a lot of edible plants. Yeah. But even by the quantity a lot, like... I was eating like one bowl of green soup a day. Oh my God. Oh my God. We usually eat it before I went to bed so that I could sleep better because I had food in my stomach. Oh my God. How did you not, because you were like one of the strongest characters. Like I was like, I want her to win. Like no. I want her to win so bad because A, you were, you said, you said something in the beginning, she, you said that you wanted to be the first woman to win. And I was like, yes, I wanted to win, you know, and I did. So it was like, you had like the mental capacity to, to do so. How, like, how did you do that? <laughs> I would go nuts after like three days. I, after, excuse me, after one day, I'd be like, I'm starving. I'm going to kill somebody. <laughs> like, <laughs> Well, going into it, um, you know, a huge part of the show is the unknown factor of how long you're going to be there because you can choose the stop at any time. Yeah. Um, and you also don't know when that winning point would be because it depends on when everybody else leaves and that's different every season. So there's like a ballpark of like, oh, maybe it'll be 70, 80 days, 100 days it could take. Maybe it'll take longer this time because people will be more experienced of what's going to happen. But I also knew from other survival trips I've done that I'm almost always hungry because it's challenging to find uh, an area in the, in the wilderness that has everything you need with going into it with nothing. Like very few of our ancestors started with nothing. If you think about it, like they were society, and you know, some even it's just a small group, like 
those people had what they needed in order to live on the land. And so going into something with very little, it can be harder to get everything that you need. You know, some landscapes have more water, some have more firewood, some have more food, some have more shelter. And to find that like perfect place that has abundance of everything and you can actually be in is, is challenging. So like I'm, I was used to this element of like, okay, I'm not going to have enough to eat on a survival trip. And having that experience and having experienced fasting as well, I went into the alone show knowing if I could eat at least once a day, that I, that would be enough for me mentally to keep going. And even if that was something really little, I could keep going. So it's just like crazy, like awareness of myself and my psychology. (laughs) And then also like ability to like choose something and just stick with it. So don't get me wrong. Like I was hungry. My stomach would growl and be in knots and like everything else, but I chose to focus on other things. Did you ever feel the effects of that extreme hunger? Like real, like you're in pain or, or anything like that? Or were you just really just focusing? Um, I don't think I ever had lots of pain, but I also wasn't focusing on it. Right. You know, People have talked about getting like crazy leg cramps or like excruciatingly painful stomachs. Um, And those things didn't happen to me. And I don't know if that's because of the amount of edible plants I was eating. Like I was getting a really wide variety of nutrients and minerals from them. And I think that probably helped my body cope with not having, you know, maybe all the carbohydrates and proteins that I would have liked to have also. Um, but I think they helped keep me healthy while I was there. And I also drank a lot of water. It's not necessarily talked about a lot is hydration and like how much our bodies can do if we're even just hydrated. And so I took one of my 10 items with me was I took a big metal water bottle and I was able to boil my water in it on my fire to, to purify it, to make it safe to drink. And then um, it's like 64 ounces, I think of water. And I knew if I could drink, if I drank that each day, plus whatever like soup I was having, it would be a good amount of water to keep me hydrated each day. I'm still in like shock, you know, just cause I know I don't do well when I don't eat. Like, oh yeah. I, I can get hangry with the best of them, <laughs> but when you're by yourself, there's nobody yeah. to like express it towards. <laughs> there's like just the bugs and the birds. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> That's so funny. Oh my God. Uh, what do you think was the most valuable thing you learned during those 86 days or the second time you went on? Um, Which you could talk about that if you want. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so the, I'll kind of like play it off of both of them. And that is that, after spending 86 days alone, I realized how much I valued other people's company in a way that I hadn't realized before because I've been, I've been a lot, like I've been a loner a lot in my life. 
And so it didn't, it wasn't, it didn't seem like it was a big deal to be alone for that long until I was out there for that long. (laughs) And when I went back for the second time, I really felt how much I valued being with other people. And so, you know, getting a fish hook stuck in my hand on day four in Mongolia is what ended up taking me out. I, I chose to tap out because I couldn't get the fish hook out. But I also was like, I don't like being alone for that long again, intentionally so soon. Like it was a year later, like not quite like a year. Like I landed in Mongolia one year from the day they pulled me in Patagonia. Whoa. So it was a really quick turnaround and I wasn't like fully back. (laughs) I mean, I was back, but I wasn't recovered all the way yet. You know, like it takes years to recover from something that extreme. How did you physically and mentally recover from that experience? Like, what was that like? It had ups and downs, like having as much food available that I could eat, you know, was was great, but also crazy because I don't know about you, but I, I definitely love chocolate and I love bacon. I love chocolate. I love bacon too, but I try not to eat bacon, but like, I love it. <laughs> so after 86 days, I, those things sounded really good to me. Yeah. And so I went to eat them, but they were gross. Really? You were so disgusting. I was so, like, I cried. I was so sad because what? after 86 days of no salt, no sugar, those taste buds had like gotten so sensitive that when I tasted them, they just were like way overpowered. So you couldn't eat it? No, I I didn't want to eat it. Did you ever come back from wanting to eat it? (laughs) Yeah. So like that was in the first like weeks out. I feel like my, my taste buds are normalized again. I do enjoy, enjoy those things. But the initial like transition time, things were weird. Like unexpected things were big and big things were fine. Just like you never know what what it's going to be or feel like. What did it feel like to be around people again? Um, And like civilization. Yeah, I actually had a really interesting experience that surprised me. So other survival trips I've been on, I come back and I see society and I'm just like, oh, gross. <laughs> Literally, that's been my response. That's how I feel. <laughs> <laughs> right? Like you're out, you're in pristine nature. You're like, oh, this is wonderful. You're grounded. You come back and everything's just like crazy. But again, like I was out there so long that I had a different perception when I came back. I actually was able to see what has been created by humans with like appreciation like wow look at all these things we can make like this <laughs> wall even this graffiti here like wow that <laughs> you had like all this gratitude for like this is made by someone yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh my god that's so funny yeah it took me by surprise because you know, if anything, I would have guessed it would have been harder to come back because I wasn't, you know, I had camera equipment and I had my 10 items and 
Occasionally a boat with a couple people would come by to do a medical check. But other than that, like I didn't see anything man-made. Like everything other than what I was making of like a shelter and fires and baskets and mats and different things that I was making, like from, from all natural materials, from sticks and leaves and plants. <laughs> like so to see, like, especially in Patagonia the town that I was in after it's just a beautiful, has some beautiful buildings in it. Beautiful architecture. So it was just really cool to see it. And I was also really glad to have that like alternate experience instead of being like frustrated or overwhelmed. Yeah. You had like a greater sense of gratitude for everything. I think I did except for bacon and chocolate. You were just like, get it away. I still appreciated. I just was very sad. It didn't taste good. <laughs> it still, like, the bacon still smelled really good. Oh my gosh. And like smells, like everything was just new to me afterwards. Like wow. there was a newness and a gratitude for everything in life, but it was just really amazing. You were like close to winning. Yeah. Like really close. <laughs> Did very you close. Did you, did you know, did you know, like, did you have a feeling like, did you have an inkling of that at all? And then when you found out, I was like, oh, (laughs) yeah, I, I knew without being told that there was only one person out there when they pulled me. You did. Um, and it was a long time. That's a long time. That's the other thing, like being out there, all, all the noise that's in our heads gets quieted and you can know a lot more things than you maybe thought you could. Like me knowing that there was only one person out there 